Hey, Beyond Politics podcast listeners, this is Matt Robeson. I hope that you're enjoying the last pod that we just put in the feed with our interview with legal scholar Kim Whaley. It was awesome about her new book, How to Think Like a Lawyer. Really enjoyed that ourselves. But in the course of talking to Kim, we just couldn't help ourselves. We did really want to get on to some other fascinating legal topics. Kim Whaley is a prolific writer in addition to her many television appearances, and she has commented widely on the insurrection, the January 6th investigation committee. So we wanted to ask her about that. And before we even got to that, I wanted to ask her about an upcoming article that I have coming out about whether Democrats can enact the ERA right now, hint, they they actually, maybe they can, and whether they should, whether that's a good political and legal strategy. So we asked her about both of those questions, and we just wanted to provide her thoughts on, on both of those in this bonus pod because it was really interesting stuff. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy it. And here's me, Paul Hodes, and Kim Whaley. In our last conversation, we talked a little bit about the ERA. I actually am writing an article right now. So the argument that we're making, there there are a whole number of parties to a lawsuit that is essentially pushing to have the ERA recognized as enacted. The legal theory here, you may be familiar with this. It's an expiration date problem, right? Right. And so the, the theory here is, while the legislative wrapper around the original ERA in Congress set that timeline, the language itself and the Constitution of the amendment makes no reference to a timeline. And the argument is it's really not in Congress's power to put an expiration date on a constitutional amendment. And that gets rid of the fact that five states have rescinded. It has a number of uh, amicus briefs filed in favor from fairly big names and big groups. My article makes an argument for, let's do it. This is what Mitch McConnell would do if the tables were turned, put the pressure on them to literally rip a set of rights out of the Constitution. And so they want to compel the archivist of the United States to basically print the ERA. I guess my question for you is, any thoughts on that? legal strategy, the legal merits of the argument. And if they were to do this, where would it go from there? I mean, it would clearly land in a whole other constitutional tussle that would probably end up before the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And then would that in itself protect abortion? I do think it would have a tremendous impact on protecting abortion potentially, um, for sure, because it would get around the argument that substantive due process, which is the basis for privacy, which is the basis for abortion, a basis for a lot of other rights, is that that's Dobbs. That's step one of Dobbs. Alito saying, oh, it's got to be expressed in the Constitution. So if you put it in the Constitution, this is why I think there should be an amendment protecting the right to vote. That's why the Supreme Court can get cute with voting rights, because it's not expressed in the Constitution. So I think what you have going for you, first of all, is the end goal. Yes, I think it would substantively legally bind the states, setting aside my whole Ninth Amendment nightmare. So that's good. I think the goal is a good one. I like the idea, too, that you're talking originalism. And again, I would seize on Dobbs' step one. I would seize on, listen, Mm. this court is going to move towards, if it's not in there, it's not in there. Mm. And, And so you're not, I wouldn't make kind of normative, sort of policy based, Oh, women, this. I mean, look what happened to Amber Heard. No one wants to hear it. There is this incel, misogynistic movement to put women back in the kitchen. 
I don't think that's going to get you anywhere. So I think you make a very sort of, you know, clinical, Alito-esque, you know, very plain language reading, right? This is where the oh, court I love is. That. We're going to that's respect great. the court. So that's number two. The Dobbs problem, sets you up. That's great. That's yes, a great That's The a great problem angle. is you have to figure out the problem with your argument is then how do states rescind? That there has to be a way that if if an amendment fails, the populist, the potential, the populist point of view can change and they're not stuck with what grandma thought 20 years ago. I think you have to then amend the constitution again, like with prohibition. You have to, you have to, you know, like you have to actually go through the constitutional process would be my guess, but I'm yeah, not I'm just saying, I mean, stuff. that yeah. I think you're probably right, but that gets a little bit, you, you just have to think about that piece and maybe that's yeah. the argument, but I think their argument's going to be, you're essentially saying, you know, you're essentially, you're, you're locked in until you have a new vote, an alternative way. That's what your position is, that there's no way to have it expire. It's either on or it's off. And maybe that's the argument. It's an on switch or an off switch. Yeah. So if the, the states had to have, you know, so, so there's that before I get lose my, lose my train of thought, I do think the only time this really matters is if courts are bound by it. Got right? it. So if you get the archivist to do whatever, the courts have to respect it. It will go to the United States Supreme Court. So one way or the other, I don't know if the Biden administration would agree to have the archivist do it. I think doing it that way would seem super political and you could really cheapen amendments to the Constitution as a result. So it might require some initial litigation around the archivist doing it. Yeah, and I think that's what this suit is is trying to do is, is to compel that, yeah. that and you of course have to think of the implications but it is pretty rare i mean of implications of amendments that expire you know ratifications that expire. so i i um i like the argument and i think there is a there's a window now to play on to 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 hoist them on their own petard as lawyers say that is to say listen okay you're doing this crazy originalist stuff we will play on your on your turf Let's do January 6th because as we record this, the hearings are coming up next week. That's yep. most pressing. So, I mean, look, January 6th has been surrounded by legal issues, of course. We have a special committee in Congress. We have Democrats whining that the Department of Justice isn't uh, acting fast enough to exercise its legal muscle on what happened around January 6th. We have legal concepts of conspiracy and sedition. And one of the central issues that we've been see, that we've seen batted about that most people probably aren't following really closely is the effort by erstwhile attorney John Eastman to keep his 2,319 memos secret instead of having them revealed. There's been talk of what's called the crime fraud exception with a ruling from a federal judge that said, well, frankly, this looks like criminal conduct that they were plotting so we can read the memos. With all that gestalt, around these hearings. We're, we're coming up to some really important public hearings now in the next week where the January 6th committee is going to start laying out some things that they've heard and seen, which could be fairly groundbreaking. What do you expect to see from a legal standpoint that we can tee up for our listeners so that they are uh, thinking about and listening 
to the to what what they're gonna hear in a somewhat more educated light. Well, I, I just have to go back to my representative, Jamie Raskin, in the House of Representatives, who is the head impeachment leader in the second in Trump impeachment. He's on this January 6th committee. And he has said, and he's also a constitutional scholar, former constitutional law professor, brilliant guy. He said it's going to, the new information is going to blow the, the roof off the House of Representatives. So this is not going to be, I think, what we saw with the second Trump impeachment. It's not going to just be a rehash. I see this as inextricably linked to November midterms. We have two pieces here. One is what did Donald Trump do? And I, I want to make a comment about that, the president, right? And that this gets to the criticism of the attorney general that there isn't any high level indictment so far. And some people think there will never be. And I did a, I did a, a piece for, I think it was Politico a few weeks ago that laid out if he doesn't indict Donald Trump, there's, we are basically green lighting widespread crimes in in the White House moving forward because there will literally be no check or balance left. That is the reason we comply with speed limits is because we'll get the ticket. If you if you know the machine is hiding in the bushes, everybody slows down because they don't want the ticket. It's the accountability, it's the enforcement is much more important than the rule and I can walk through that. I know in a lot of time, not a lot of time, but if you just if you just Google Whaley, Politico, Trump, or whatever, it'll come up. And it it makes I think an airtight argument that if 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 Merrick Garland doesn't do something, and you got a bad actor in the White House, and the framers understood it's human nature to abuse power, famously Madison, right? We will get unlimited criminal activity in the White House at some point in our lifetime. So that that's the important piece for the Attorney General, with respect to the November elections, I think what we don't know is the role of members, sitting members of Congress in in what was an attempt to steal an election from the people. Now, I know some people don't want, didn't want Joe Biden, but do they still want to be in charge of picking their own leaders, right? What is on the ballot in November is whether we will go into a single party minority rule state. That is, my vote doesn't matter, your vote doesn't matter, Matt's vote doesn't matter, the people in power will pick who's in power. That's really what's at stake. That's what the whole thing was about. And what we're seeing, Cleta Mitchell, conservative lawyer on Team Trump, populating across the country, I think she has 5,000 volunteers now, populating the election officials, the election officials, to quote, count the votes fairly, when fairly meaning for Republicans, ignoring anything other than their chosen candidate, and having poll watchers basically bullying and intimidating people at the polls. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm invested in the system, not in the outcome. I want a system that pays attention to the voters and not politicians. I don't trust politicians to do what's best for me and my family. So I think these hearings, Paul, they are, everyone should watch them to decide how to vote in November for members of Congress. Because the things that are happening with in the courts, John Eastman, et cetera, that is not about the law. Because as you know, the attorney-client privilege argument, the work product thing, all of those b- bases for keeping the information from Congress are bogus. The attempt, we talk about, we can talk about Ginny Thomas, but the attempt by the Trump administration to keep the White House records from the archives from Congress, even this conservative court said no. So these legal battles have nothing to do with the merits. It's about keeping people in the dark and 
running the clock out through November. So if Republicans take over the House, the whole thing dies. And then I'm sorry, it's it's darkness for America and for American democracy. And you can just hope that your party stays in power because you no longer will dictate the outcome of your own your own elections. So I think people who are listening, what you need to do, they're going to tell a story in these hearings and you need to pay attention because they're talking to you about who you want to represent you in November and who should be in control of the United States Congress. People who believe in democracy by the people, and that could be Republicans or Democrats. I mean, Liz Cheney for president, I'm all behind it, right? I mean, she she acts with integrity. And to me, that's the criterion right now. Integrity, integrity, integrity. I don't care if you're blue or red, right? If you act with integrity. So you have to decide for yourself, who do you want in power in, 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 in Congress Come November, do you want people that are going to hammer down your throats certain candidates that keep them in power, or are you going to want people that are going to still adhere to democracy? And that's what these hearings are about, whether you vote and how you vote. Let me let me ask a, a question about how people can look at these hearings. One of the great casualties of the era of Trump and Trumpism is has been truth and trust. How can people looking or listening to these hearings feel a sense of trust in truth, given all, all, all the bad stuff that's gone under the bridge, so to speak? Well, I mean, I think the facts are out. I mean, that's part of the problem is we we know so much publicly. And so it's sort of like you you commit crimes and in the open, then it's kind of like, where's the there there? You can trust your own instincts, right? I mean, again, go back to your value system. And we're I think we're going to hear, unlike for the trials, Paul, we're going to hear witnesses. We're going to hear people swear oath and speak, I hope. Right. And so people are going to be telling their stories. You watch this and and ask yourself, if I were in that person's shoes, what how would I respond to this? So try to set aside your team mentality. Go back to your common sense and your value system and think about the big picture. What do you want for your children? What I always say is when the stormtroopers are at your back door and it's Putin land. Right. I mean, we see it in Ukraine. There's a, there's a democracy that was attacked from the outside in. Ours is being attacked from the inside out, and it happened on January 6th. When the stormtroopers are back, your back door, my friends, it's over. It's too late. Now is the time. Now is the time to hold your kid's hand when they're crossing the street. I mean, you're going to grab that kid's hand, a three-year-old, if there's kicking and screaming. Too bad, I'm not going to let you get hit by a car. Grabbing the hand of democracy is for your children. So before you start watching these videos or these hearings, maybe you write down what matters to you and you go back to that. When you hear the rhetoric, when you turn on Fox News or you turn on CNN and you see people like me spin it, part of the point of the book is, to, and I also wrote a book on the Constitution, how to, what you need, or how to read the Constitution and why. At, here are the tools for you to decide for yourself. That's very empowering. So- I want to close the show with a programming note for all of our listeners. Congressman Raskin has actually agreed to appear on Beyond Politics with us after the hearings. And so I want all of our listeners to be active viewers of these hearings. And if you have questions, if you have ideas, hit me on Twitter. I'm at Matt L. Robeson. 
That actually wrapped up the show right there. And I really mean it. I do want people to hit us on Twitter, hit me, Kim Whaley, or Paul Hodes, and we'd be very happy to turn around your questions to Congressman Raskin as soon as we can get him. He's he's a little bit busy right now trying to get down to the roots of the insurrection and what happened around January 6th. And in the meantime, thanks so much for listening and for subscribing and for your ratings and reviews. They really do help us out. 